church, I hope you're doing well uh, today. Yeah, that's exciting, right? Um, so we are well on our way uh, to break ground on our permanent facility. It's so awesome to see and, and to think about uh, just about two years ago starting this project and thinking, man, that was so out of reach for us. What were we going to do? And, and now God has faithfully provided through uh, your uh, generosity, and so I can, I can, we're, I can almost feel it. We're, we're about a year away from November of next year would be kind of our goal when we want to start. Hopefully building prices will come down uh, by then. If not, we may uh, have to put a hold on it, but uh, thank you for your continued generosity to the 1-8 Project. Uh, it is accomplishing a lot for the mission of God, and so if you're here, maybe this is the first time you've seen that, you had no idea. Uh, we are in the middle of what we're calling the 1-8 Project, which is all about elevating our generosity for the mission of God. And so we set out last, uh, as you saw in the video, to, to, to accomplish three objectives. And we've already done uh, two, and we're working on our last. And so we'd love for you to jump on board and be a part of that uh, as well. So today, uh, we are continuing on in our series uh, called When Sinners Say I Do. We've been talking a lot about marriage and relationships. And so uh, I'm going to finish up this series uh, this morning. So if you're single or you're not married or you're like, God, I wish you'd quit talking about relationships, you get your wish today. We will finish up today. But this is a big deal for our church. And the reason we spend at least one series a year on family and on relationships is because it's important. It's very important. Whether you're in a relationship, married, have kids, or whether you're not, it's important to understand what the Bible has to say and what God has to say about marriage and relationships. And so if you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, that's where we'll be uh, this morning. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll jump right in. Father, we love you. Uh, God, you're so good to us. Uh, God, you're so faithful, Lord, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness and wondering. God, you uh, remain constant. So, Father, I pray today as we open up your word, God, and look into uh, what you've uh, designed our life to be and what you've designed our life to look like, God, that we uh, would be cut to the heart, Lord, that we would live our life in response to the gospel and what you've done, and God, our priorities would reflect that in our lives individually, in our lives, in our families, uh, God, that you would just move on our hearts this morning. God, give us each a next step to take so that we can become more and more like you. So, Father, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So if I could have one conversation uh, with every couple, every married couple, every single person who's looking forward to a relationship, uh, this would be the conversation that I would have. Today's sermon is the, the, is the conversation that I would have. I cannot tell you uh, how impactful this has been, not only on my life, but multiple people and multiple families uh, all throughout this room. Priorities matter. I want you to remember that. I could, I could title the sermon, Priorities matter. It's very important. Uh, so here, let's start with a little audience participation. How many of you guys would say, whether you're married, whether you're not married, you would say one day, uh, I, um, I want a great godly marriage. I want a great godly family. How many of you would just raise your hand? That's pretty much everybody in this room, right? Everybody says, man, I want this. I want my marriage to look like God's, God's design. I want my family to function in God's design. I want this to be used to glorify God. And, and so that's never the issue, right? Anytime there, there's a desire for that. But the majority of people, I believe, really do want that sincerely at the bottom of their heart. However, 
where the rubber meets the road is people do not want to change, right? They don't want to change how they live. They don't want to change their lifestyle. They don't want to change their priorities and their actions to become a godly family, right? And that's the issue. So that's where we have to look into today to say, okay, what are my priorities? What, what, what do my actions show? Are they aligned into this vision of what I have? You, you can't continue to do the same things over and over again and expect different results, right? So if my family's unhealthy, my marriage is unhealthy right now, literally the definition for insanity is to continue to do the same things over and over and over again and expect different results, right? We cannot fall into that. Everyone wants a great marriage, but we have to be willing to make the changes in our life uh, to get there. If we want the great marriage, we have to do things we've never done before if our marriage is not healthy now. So I want you to write this down, and I think this could apply not only into your family, but also into your life. A vision without priorities in action will get you nowhere, right? So a vision, a desire to have a godly family, a godly marriage with no priorities and no priorities that lead to action steps will get you nowhere. I, I love this example because I'm a football guy. If you like sports, you, you'll get it. If not, you can kind of think about it as a business model. How many of you guys, uh, any Alabama fans, football, Alabama football fans in the room, just one, two. All right, bless y'all's heart. I know y'all don't win very much, but um, I, we feel for y'all. Um, so when Nick Saban, you know, if you remember when Nick Saban got to Alabama a few years ago, he had actually come from a pretty losing uh, program at the, as the Miami Dolphins, right? And so he did not do very well when he got there, but he had some success before that at LSU, right? And so he had won a national championship there. He moved and uh, did that and decided he wanted to come back to Alabama. And when he got back to Alabama, if you remember, Alabama was not very good. That was actually when Georgia could beat Alabama, right? Back before Nick Saban. And so um, they weren't very good. And so he shows up and Nick Saban has a vision for Alabama football. He wants Alabama to be a powerhouse, a national championship contender every year, win dynasty is what he was looking to do, and he's achieved that, right? So think about it. When he got to the University of Alabama, they weren't very good, and he knew there's some things that need to change if we're going to become a national powerhouse. Well, we're going to have to change the way we recruit. We're going to have to change the culture of how we work out, how we practice, how we do all of these things. And so if he would have got there and said, all right, man, I, I can't wait. Let's become a national championship. We're going to win the national championship this year. All right, guys, keep doing what you're doing, and I'm, I'm going to go over here. I'll see you all at the first game. It would have never happened, right? For, for some of us in our life, that's kind of how we function. I want to be a godly family. I, I want to have a godly marriage. But then when it comes to making changes and changing the culture of our current marriage or current relationship, we don't want to do anything. And we cannot do that. And we have to remember it's important that we have a vision. A vision means this is where I want to go. This is, this is who I want to become. Actions are what get you to that point, right? So actions are if I want to get to this vision, but I'm stepping this way and this way, I'm not going to get there. And so today what I want to focus on 
is what controls your actions, which is your priorities, right? So what we prioritize is what we're going to do. What we're going to do is going to lead us to somewhere, whether we go there intentionally or not. And so I want us to see in God's word what God's vision for our life is. And then I want us to build out priorities to get us to where God wants us to be. Does that sound good? Have I lost you yet? All right. That sounds great. Here we go. Joshua chapter 24. Uh, I'm just going to read verses 14 and 15. I'll kind of catch you up. In the book of Joshua, uh, we just got through reading it together as a church not long ago. Joshua, Joshua is a leader in the early uh, Old Testament, right? And so Moses, many of you guys know, led the Israelites through the Red Sea. Uh, just an incredible leader. Well, he makes a mistake and God uh, tells him, hey, you're not actually going to lead the Israelites into the promised land. I've created another guy and his name is Joshua and his purpose to fulfill is to, to lead the Israelites into the promised land land. And so he ends up uh, coming after Moses died, Joshua steps up and begins to lead. And he actually does accomplish what God intended for him. He leads the Israelites into the promised land. When they get to the promised land, they divide out into 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? You see them come back in the book of Revelation. But uh, the 12 tribes scatter out all throughout this promised land. But one of the things when Joshua gets to the end of his book is that he looks out throughout all of Joshua and all the tribes of, of Israel, and he sees something has happened, right? They've kind of lost their leader. They've, they've split out, and there's different tribe leaders that, that have gone with them. But they've turned to worship idols. The, the very God that delivered them to this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, this beautiful land that was sufficient for everything they needed, they had turned their back on him. And so Joshua was with one tribe, but the other 11 tribes had begun to worship idols, and they had begun to fall into the natural worship of, of the people uh, in which the tribes, that they, they scattered into their land. And Joshua was heartbroken. And you got to think, Joshua's on his deathbed. He loves these people. He led these people, and, and they're not good people, right? They're people that were wandering constantly, but Joshua just had a pastor's heart for these people and he gets to his deathbed, and he turns to them, and, and he reminds them of what all that God had done for him. Guys, don't you remember the God that delivered us out of slavery into the promised land, that divided the Red Sea, that divided the Jordan River, that gave us victory over all of these enemies, and has gotten us to this land of blessing? Do you remember that God that, that had all of this good news and blessing for us? Now we've scattered out, and instead of living out of gratitude and thankfulness in response to this good God that we know, we've turned aside and began to do what we want to do and began to live in sin. And he gets to Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, and here's what he says to him. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the God your, gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And we all know it. But as for me and my household, me and my family, what does he say? We will serve the Lord. And so it's important to understand 
that in this passage, what we get is a leader, Joshua. And, and I don't think God's, God's word to us would be any different. It would be the same word that Joshua gave. God's vision for your life is for you to serve the Lord. Like, period. That's for every person in here, no matter where you're at. Single, married, have a family, don't have a family. God's vision for your life is to serve the Lord. And I'm going to ask you today to make the same decision and the same choice that Joshua is bringing this group of people that he loved to, which is, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. To align to God's vision for your life, to experience the joy and the purpose and the fulfillment that you find when you begin to live in the purpose and in the plan of God. I'm telling you, there's, there's so many people in this room right now, and maybe even you would say, I'm a Christian, but when we begin to assess your life, what you're going to see is that you may say with your mouth that you're a Christian, but you're living outside of the will of God, and because of that, not only is it hurting yourself, but you're not experiencing a life that God has for you. And so today I want to give you just three practical steps. Listen, and I'm not a three steps to a godly life type of guy, but I'm telling you it is so simple that it almost sounds stupid. It, it, it literally is so simple, and I want to give you these three steps, and I want to talk about them just a little bit. Step one is this. I want to ask you to draw a line in the sand. That's a metaphor. You've probably heard it before. I want, to, I, want to, I want to ask you to put your foot down and decide today to live in response to the gospel, uh, to see God for who he is, to know the God of the Bible, the same God that delivered his people from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. I want to, I want to, I want to ask you to, to look at him, to know him, see what he's done for you through Christ on the cross and draw a line in the sand and say, we will, I will serve the Lord. And then the step, second step I want to ask you to take is I want to ask you to honestly assess where your priorities are currently. And this one hurts a little bit. Listen, this is when we begin to look in the mirror and begin to do what Joshua was doing for the people of Israel. He called them back from their 12 tribes. Think of 12 towns. And he calls a town meeting, a family meeting. And he says, all right, guys, I've assessed, honestly, how we're living today. And I want to talk about it. Here's where we are. But here's a God that loves us, which is step three. He calls them to adjust their priorities to match God's vision, right? Three very simple steps, but they may be difficult for us as we look at them, and so I want to do that. Step one, draw a line in the sand. Listen, if we do not know where we're going, if we do not align to God's vision for our life, then we are going to end up somewhere away from the will of God. We have to understand that. If we do not make this choice today to say, I'm with God, the vision that God has for my life is the one that I want, then we're making a choice, and that choice is to drift into the way of the world is to, to, to not make a choice, to say, Billy, I just don't know if I'm ready for that, is to make a choice. That's what Joshua was saying. He's saying, guys, if we do not decide today who we're going to serve, then we're making a choice, and that choice is against God. And this is a struggle for all of us. Listen, we have so much working against us. I don't know if you figured this out, but as soon as you start trying to press in to God, you know, there's so much stuff that's working against us. We have sin inside of us, right? So you and I are born into sin is what the Bible says. That means we are born with a bent 
to want to live for ourselves, right? No, no person in this room is not born with a desire deep down in them to live for themselves. That's what the Bible calls sin. We see it in Adam and Eve from the very beginning. They want to do what they want to do. They see God for who he is, but instead of doing his way, we want to do our way, and right? So we have that working against us. Just because we become a Christian doesn't mean that desire goes away. All of us like to be right. All of us like to be in control of our lives and decide what we want to do and do that. But here's the, here's the thing. A lot of times if we listen to our heart and our intuition, it's going to be selfish and against God and not for God, right? Not only do we have sin at work in us, we also have a world around us that's going a certain direction. I don't know if you've noticed this. All you got to do is look at the news and, and look around you. There's not many people that are standing for God. There's not many people that are establishing their family on the foundation of God, on the principles of the Bible, right? They're, they're kind of taking the title Christian and then living how they want to live and accepting what they want about the Bible and then what they don't like, they'll just kind of change it to match what they want. And so if we're not careful, we'll fall into that drift. Not only that, we have a real enemy, right? The Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy so as soon as you start trying to live for God, you awake this, this devil, this, this enemy that wants to destroy you and destroy anything you're doing for and along with the kingdom of God. And so as we start to think about building our life and drawing a line on the sand, this is not something that comes easy. We have to reject the drift towards complacency. We have to reject the, the drift towards the natural uh, way of the world. You know, the majority of people that I see uh, as I'm doing counseling and, and spending time with people, uh, they live their lives in a reactionary posture. Posture. It, it's, it's not, hey, I have a plan, this is God's vision for my life, so I'm going to step towards that, align my priorities and align my schedule based on that. They kind of take life as it comes. You know, it's, it's more like, hey, let's just make it work, let's just make it happen, uh, you know, if, 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 if We'll just drift into the way, and, and if we'll just kind of find our way. We don't really know what we're doing or navigating, and, and whatever comes, comes. But here's the idea. God didn't intend for us to live passive and reactionary lives. He intended for us to live proactive, visionary lives. Think about what the Bible says about vision. Proverbs 28, without vision, the people perish. Right, And so God's given us this important vision for us to pursue, and God wants us to live our lives intentionally. Godly families and godly marriages and godly relationships don't happen by accident. They happen because of intentionality. God wants us to live with his vision in mind for our lives, to live in view of what he wants us to become. And I believe today is a divine appointment for many of us in this room today. We've lived our entire life just trying to find our way, just trying to do what we think is best and all this. And today, I believe God wants to transform families and marriages and people in this room with this vision that he has for our lives. And I understand we're all in different points, right? We're all at different spots. We all come into the room with different brokenness, different stages of life. But God's vision for our life, no matter where we are, is the best vision for our life. 
He loves us. He's a good God. He created us for a specific purpose. And so for us today, it starts with this choice to begin to walk into God's plan for our life. And I want you to know this is a huge deal. And I'm not just spending so much time on this because I want to. I'm spending so much time because this is a generational decision. you got to get this. How you live today shapes your kid's life tomorrow. Right? So what we do as a family, this is monumental because this, this decision to live for God and to begin to shape our families around the priorities of God not just shapes you, it shapes your kids. And not just your kids, but the kids after the kids. And then their kids. And then the next kids. It's a generational thing as we begin to look into just the bigness, uh, just, just how monumental of a choice this is. And so I wanted to start today by sharing a, a story of a couple in our church. And I asked them to, to write out their testimony about what they had seen. This is a couple that be, has began living for God maybe a little bit later on in their life. But I, I would call them pretty much uh, really similar to most of us in this room today. And I asked them this question. What were the consequences of not putting God first in your marriage and your family? And then I asked him to follow up with the question of, how has your life changed since you began putting God first in your life? And I want to read from the husband's perspective, and then I want to read from the wife's perspective. Here's the husband. He says, the consequences of not putting God first in our marriage deteriorated our marriage, and it caused both of us to step outside of our marriage. I turned to my work as an escape, not to have to face our problems. Working out of town allowed me to avoid everything that was wrong in our marriage. I lived a different life during the week. When I came home on the weekends, I went through the motions of trying to act like a picture-perfect marriage, and it was far from perfect. It took a toll on me because I didn't want to be in the marriage, but I couldn't leave because of the deep roots for my family that I have. And I woke up one morning in a hotel, and it was like God hit me with a brick in the face. And he said, what are you doing? He convicted my heart and burdened my heart for the life that I had been living. I called my wife, and I told her I was coming home right then, and I wanted to talk to her. For the first time in our marriage, we were able to talk to one another and communicate our feelings. For the first time, we were able to really listen to one another and not just hear to respond so that we could get angry and fight with each other. We literally felt God's presence moving all the barriers in our marriage that had built up over the years. We started prioritizing God in our marriage to be first. And I began to feel so much peace. My wife became my best friend. I enjoy spending time with my wife and our family has gotten so much closer. God opened so many doors for us. He blessed us and gave me a new job that brought me actually back home to work where I'm able to be home every night with my wife. I'm able to be more involved with my wife, my kids, and my grandkids. Every morning I start my day praying with my wife, and I'm thankful for all of God's grace and mercy to forgive me. He took our marriage that was heading for divorce and changed it into a godly marriage that he intended us to have all along. It's truly amazing to look back and see just how good our God is. Now I want to read it from the wife's perspective. Listen to this. Several years ago, I thought my marriage was over. 
My husband had basically checked out and I was devastated. We married at a young age after high school and struggled throughout our marriage because we never kept God as our priority. We would put him first for periods of time over the years, but we never kept pursuing him as we, we should. <clears throat> Just as Blake preached about the main conflicts in marriage being sex, money, and communication, we had all three of those on top of selfishness on both parts. We both hurt each other tremendously over the years. There was pain and heartache with not only us, but our children as well. We both came from broken families. Our parents divorced when we were young, and neither one of us had a model set before us of what God intended marriage to be. I had the godliest mother anyone could ask for who loved me. Who, and Sorry, I lost my place. Who loved me. She discipled me and led me to the Lord. I grew up watching her depend on God and trust him. But I never knew what a marriage was supposed to be. Our kids became my priority and my husband's needs were put after the kids and everything else. Our problems just kept, kept getting swept under the rug. We never faced any of our issues nor trying to solve them. Because of us not prioritizing God in our marriage, we had many consequences of our bad choices and sin in our life over the years. This caused a mountain of destruction in our marriage and our family. When my husband told me he was done and wanted a divorce, I was crushed. But because I had seen how much my mother depended on God growing up, I knew how much my God loved me. I began crying out to God, seeking him and digging into his word, what I should have done all along. I began praying for God to do a work in my life, my husband's life, and in our marriage. Over the next several months, it was easy to become, I am a fixer, and I wanted our marriage to be fixed quickly. But God told me I didn't get in this situation overnight, that I needed to trust him and keep my eyes focused on him. I reached out to my best friend for her to become my prayer warrior through this dark place. God began revealing so much to me. I began to have a peace that nobody but Jesus could give. I put my trust in God and to do his work. I was seeking him in everything I said, everything I did, and he began to do a work in our marriage. What I thought was impossible, God showed just how powerful he is by moving this mountain and turning our marriage into what he had ordained all along. Although I did not like what I had to go through and the pain I experienced, I am thankful for the lessons that I learned where God has brought me and my husband in our marriage. In the last several years, our marriage has been the best because we strive to put God first. God showed us how to love each other, put each other's needs before our own. We began to communicate like we had never done before. I now have a husband who prays with me every morning, and it's evident in his life that he's seeking God. It is evident to him that I'm also seeking God. We aren't perfect, but we have experienced a transformation in our marriage that only God could do. We are imperfect people seeking a perfect God. God took the biggest mess and he turned it into his glory. I'm thankful for God's grace and mercy every day of my life. I often think about the song that talks about how God made something beautiful in my life. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life and our marriage. My God moved a big mountain, and I am so grateful for his mercies and love. One of my go-to worship songs throughout this time in my life was All Things New. The world was broken. 
fallen and battered and scarred. You took the wasted, ruined, and marred and made it new. You make all things new. You redeem and you transform. You renew and you restore. You make all things new. And forever we will watch and worship you. God took all that was broken in our marriage and he made it new. What an incredible story. I mean, it's beautiful to think about. And so listen, I, I don't know where you are. Like, I, I don't know if you're at a good spot, a bad spot. I don't know if, if you're, you're on the brink of divorce or maybe you're single looking to marriage. But I want you to understand the important thing is to draw a line in the sand as Joshua and as God is telling you, make the choice. As for me and my house, some of us don't have a house. As for me and my life, I'm going to serve the Lord. And listen, you can't do it on your own. This is not a sermon about pulling your bootstraps up and being tougher and doing this. You need help. But I'm telling you, if you step to God, he'll step to you. The Bible says draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. It's time for some of us to quit making excuses. Time is short and eternity is in the balance. And God is giving us an opportunity to begin to build our life on him. Step two, God wants us to honestly assess where our priorities are currently. And listen, this is simple, but it's not easy. I'm telling you, many of us understand that it's naturally hard to be honest with ourselves, right? It's so easy to do, and usually we have people around us all the time that are willing to be honest with us about ourselves. But for us, a lot of times, we like to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Self-awareness is not the greatest characteristic and the most common characteristic in our world. We like to see ourselves in the best light. And for some of us, that's exactly what's holding us back. You know, that's exactly what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ offensive to people, is that Jesus came into the world and told us that we were sinners and that we were jacked up and messed up and that we didn't have everything right. And before we can receive his grace and his mercy and his salvation, we have to be willing to be honest about the fact that we are all sinners and that we all fall short of the glory of God. And a lot of times that's not just salvation. I would say every time the work that God wants to do in our life starts with us being honest. It starts with us being honest. Write this down. The prerequisite of God doing a work in our lives is honesty. The prerequisite to God working in our lives, no matter where we are, is being honest. I believe this is exactly the, why Joshua called a family meeting in this passage. He called a family meeting to be honest about where we were. Hey guys, all 12 of us, all 12 of our tribes, this is where we are. I mean, I can almost see it today. The 12 tribes show up thinking, well, we're not doing that bad. Like we got land, we established this. You know, we got some people that are acting crazy, but we're doing pretty good. And Joshua sees it as God is about to destroy you. Like you, you, are, you are living your life the opposite of what God has designed for you to live. And he has an honest, loving conversation with them. Listen, I've had to have this conversation with so many people in my life. That's one of the things that when you sign up to be a preacher, you sign up to find people at pretty much their worst and have to speak truth that sometimes breaks people's heart. But you do it out of love because you love them. And many people I've, I've had this conversation with have listened and they've applied. And God's done some incredible things in their life. But many people have walked away mad at me. Mad at me for telling them the truth. 
and holding up their life and saying, hey, let's just take an honest assessment. And I've held up my life, and I always held up my life to people to say, hey, this is something that I have to do many times. And so as a family, I just want to get honest. As a person, what are you serving right now? Where are your priorities? What does your life revolve around? Where are you? Let's just take an honest assessment. There's nothing that reveals our priority like our time, our energy, and our money. So I just want to give you an example of how to, how to take this evaluation of your life. I don't know if I need to do this or not, but I'm just going to help us here about how I do it in my life. So let's examine just two of these, our time and our money. The first is our time. Everybody in this room would tell me they're busy. Every person in this room, including myself, when I look at my schedule, my first thought is I'm busy, right? But here's the kind of the common denominator. We all have the same amount of hours in a week, right? We have 168 hours in our week, no matter where you are, 168. And most of us spend about 50 of those hours sleeping uh, right now with a little kid, maybe less than that for me, um, and about 50 hours, 40 to 50 of those hours working in some capacity, our job or occupation. So that leaves about 68 hours every week that we get to choose what we do, right? For many of us with kids are like, I don't choose, I have to do. No, you don't. Like you choose to do what you do for 68 hours of your week. And so here's my question. What are you doing with those hours? What are you doing with those hours? Because here's the thing. How many of those hours are going towards God? Spending time with God, embracing God's mission, church, connect groups, serving, uh, discipling other people, spending time investing in relationships with other people for the sake of the gospel. How many of those times? If God is my number one priority, then he's the first to go on the schedule. Right? He's the first thing to go on the schedule. Secondly, spouse. How many are spent with our spouse? Right? How many are spent trying to find quality time to spend with our spouse, to continue to cultivate the marriage that God has entrusted to us? Thirdly, the kids. How many times, how many of these hours are spent with our kids? And then everything else. How many of those are spent on things that really aren't our priorities, whether it be uh, not bad things, activities or hobbies or, or working out, fitness, whatever it is for you. But when we look at our time and where those 68 hours go, they will reveal where our priorities are. And sometimes that is a good revelation and other times it's not. Let's think about your money. Let me just ask you a few very tough questions to do this. Not because I'm trying to condemn you, but because I love you. And these are the questions I ask myself. Where does the first 10% of your money go? When you think about the first fruits of your life and what God's asked you to do as a Christian, where does the first 10% of your money go? What, what do you think about when you get your paycheck? Is your first thought, how can I steward this for God and how can I give to God and the Lord's mission? Or is it, what do I have to do to provide and to do for myself this week? Another question, after the essentials, after food, shelter, clothing, transportation, all the things that we have to pay for, which is not cheap, how are you spending your money? How do you spend the excess money that you have if you have a little excess 
money? Are you spending it on you or are you leveraging it for the mission of God? Are you spending it on your spouse and your kids? What you're prioritizing? Are you spending it on yourself? Another question. When God blesses you financially, maybe you get a raise, maybe you get a bonus, maybe you get an inheritance. Do you raise your standard of living or do you raise your standard of giving and generosity? Listen, I know these are tough questions, but I'm telling you, these are the questions that I ask myself because these questions reveal our heart and they reveal our priorities. This is why God talked about money so much because they give us what is important to us. You follow our checkbook, you follow our heart. Based on your time and your money and your energy right now, would you say, honest assessment, that God is the number one priority in your life? Could you take me to your time, your energy, and money and make a good case to me that God is your number one priority in your life? Could you do that? For a lot of us, our words say, Billy, yeah, like God is my priority. But when we begin to investigate our time and our energy and our money, what happens is our actions show a very different story. And this is what Joshua is getting to in this passage is he's saying, hey, guys, you are the 12 tribes of Israel. You are the chosen people of God, but you're not acting like it. And when we investigate your life, you're living as if you have other gods as your priority. So the question becomes, when this reveals our hearts, how do we respond, right? It's like God, just like uh, the husband said in the passage, when God punches us in the face and calls our priorities before us, how do we respond to them? Well, we have to respond in confession, forgiveness, and repentance. Here's the great news of the gospel that all of us have to understand. God doesn't look at us in our mess and try to beat us down more. Sometimes we as preachers make it seem that way. But that's not the God of the Bible. The Bible says that God gives us more grace, right? He doesn't give us grace as an excuse to continue in our sin. But when we come to our senses or when we come to grips with the fact that we have moved away from God, the Bible always says God moves towards us in grace and mercy and forgiveness and not away from us. Right, And so today, the good news of the gospel is that no matter where you are, if it's good or bad, you have a God that loves you, that, that literally wants good for your life, that wants to do a work in your life. And so it starts with you confessing, man, my priorities are off. God, I'm sorry. And then we receive his grace. And then from there, the Bible calls us to repent, to turn from our sin, to turn from our way. And to turn to him. And the Bible says, listen, repentance gets a bad rap. But the Bible clearly says, Acts 3.19, repentance leads to refreshing. If we want to be refreshed in God, then we have to live a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance is never a bad thing in the Bible. It's a good thing because it returns us to God's design. And it's an invitation to life. Step number three, not only do we have to draw a line in the sand and establish our vision. Not only do we have to honestly assess where our priorities are currently, but we have to adjust those priorities to match God's vision. We have to adjust our priorities to match God's vision. This is important. This is what repentance looks like. I want to introduce you to probably the most important graphic I've ever uh, learned. It's ever been. This was an absolute game changer for me. This is the graphic that literally I show pretty much every married couple that comes in my office and says, hey, we're having marriage issues, Billy. 
And what it is, is I call it the priorities of a godly life. This is the godly order for how he wants our priorities to work, right? We got to, again, understand the vision for God, God's vision for our life. He wants us to serve him and honor him in all that we do, right? To glorify him, to live a life. In order to do that, our actions have to reflect that. Well, what controls our actions? Our priorities control our actions. What we prioritize is what we will do. What we will do will get us to where we're going to go. Either that's a good thing or a bad thing. So here's the priorities that I believe the Bible would propose to us in this order. And the order is important. The first one you see up there is God. Your relationship with God is by far the most important thing in your life. Period. I'll give you a secret. God has this thing rigged. He really does. He's smart. He's a genius. He literally created us so that if God is first in our life, everything else in life just sh it shapes up the exact way it should. Everything in life is experienced for the fullness of joy and the gift that it is when God's first in our life. The only issue with that is that we have a tendency to not put God first and to begin to put created things first. That's what Romans 1 teaches us, right? And when we begin to do that, we lead ourselves into destruction because it, our whole worldview is different. We're looking to things to give us what only God can give us. And when we prioritize our relationship with God first, we can enjoy the things of life the way they were created to be enjoyed. Secondly, marriage, our spouse. That's the second priority for some of us that are married in the room. If you're not married, this isn't it. But hey, if you're not married, this is why it's so important that you carefully select a spouse. Because the Bible says when you leave, you have to cleave yourself to a person. And if that person doesn't love God, you are cleaved to them for Like it is a cleave, literally you are one in God's eyes. And you have to be with them and go into a covenant with this person. And either their priorities align to God's priorities or they don't. And so as you're looking for a spouse or dating to get married, think about this. For some of us that are already married, it means that our spouse is our number two priority. The best thing you can do for your spouse is love God. And the second thing you can do for her is to prioritize her, prioritize him. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to do that in just a minute. Thirdly is our kids. The best thing for your kids is for you to prioritize God and then prioritize your spouse. Because think about what God designed these two things to do. Your kids can't see a relationship with God that you don't have. If you're not walking in a relationship with God, then they can't see what they're designed and created for. Secondly, what did God design marriage for? We talked about this two weeks ago, to display God's love for his church or God's love for his people. So how cool is it that God designed it so that our kids in our family that's established on his priorities not only get to see a relationship with God and what they were created for, but then through the way you love your spouse, they get to see a picture of Christ and his love for them. You talk about the ultimate missionary tool, the ultimate evangelism tool, that's it. God's designed it, man. I'm telling you, he's set this thing up so that it's absolutely incredible. And then fourthly, everything else. Everything else, your occupation, your hobbies, all of that stuff falls in line up under that. But a lot of times when it comes to prioritizing these things, we like to mix these things up. And so if we're honest in here, moms, a lot of times what we do is when we have kids, just like the testimony said, we switch our kids to the top. 
And we just claim, well, it's a season. We have to do all this. We have to do this, this, and this. No, you don't. Like God has given you the ability as a Christian through the power of the Holy Spirit to choose to prioritize your life in the way that he wants it to be prioritized. And so for many women, it, it's, we, instead of in God top, why not Christ first, your spouse second, the way God designed it to be? For many men, what we take is everything else. Our work, our occupation, we try to find our identity in making money and we begin to give ourselves to that and just kind of leave the woman to take care of the kids. She can do that. I'll just make money to provide for everything that they want to do. But that's not God's design. God says relationship with God, spouse, your kids, then your occupation, then your hobbies. So when we assess that in our life, how does it go? And God has given us a good plan that will help us if we will begin to do it. And listen, knowing this plan is absolutely incredible. You can just leave that graphic up back there um, for the rest of the sermon. Knowing this graphic and knowing this plan, I'm telling you, will establish a successful life. If we can begin to get this, it's absolutely incredible. It sets the framework for our lives. It gives us a foundation to build on, a foundation to establish our priorities on. Uh, it, it sets us up to be obedient in every area of our life. It gives us something to examine our lives by. It's kind of like a, a, a scorecard for us to, to look at. As we begin to examine our lives, it gives us a battle plan to fight for. And so listen, this is something that I keep in front of me all the time to say, hey, looking at my life this week, how am I prioritizing these things? How am I aligning my schedule based on what is a priority to me? And so very quickly, I just want to walk you through these four questions. How do we prioritize our relationship with God? How do we prioritize our marriage? How do we prioritize our kids? And then how do we prioritize everything else? The first is how do we prioritize our relationship with God? I want to give you two things. If you want to prioritize God, you got to know him. you got to walk in a relationship. you got to spend time with him. You gotta spend time with him. You cannot cultivate a relationship with God if you're not willing to spend time with him. So if we're building our life based off of these priorities, what's the first thing that needs to go on our schedule? Our relationship with God, our time with God in the morning time, in the, whenever it is, hey, here's my schedule, here's when I'll be spending time with God. But again, what do we do? We like to react, and the first thing that goes off of our schedule is what? Our time with God, but you remove God from the equation and move everything up, and everything begins to fall apart. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then the rest will be added unto that. The first thing is we got to spend time with God. Secondly, how do you prioritize your relationship with God? you got to find community. you got to live your life in the midst of other people that are doing the same. Right? we got to have, this is why we are so big on connect groups here, you got to find people in your life that are living their life and fighting the same battles that you're fighting. I'm not saying you got to spend all your time with them, but I'm saying a good portion of your time needs to be encouraging one another to prioritize the things of God. Secondly, how do, how do you prioritize your marriage? I'll give you two things. Schedule date nights and put your spouse's needs before yourself. Schedule date nights. What do I mean? That's super practical. That's what I'm trying to be. Listen. Every week, if you can, listen, we got two kids now, one small kid. This is the hardest thing to do is to figure out a way to get away from the kids so that me and Kate can continue to cultivate 
our relationship so that we can continue to be best friends and love one another. A lot of times our dates are at lunchtime. When we, when we have a lunch break, one day a week, we'll go. And, and on this date night, I'm not just talking just spend time eating together, playing on your phone. I'm talking intentional, quality time. I want to give you a question. Write this question down. What do you wish I would do more? What do you wish I would do more? You're like, preacher, hold on now. You've already told me how to live my life. Now you're telling me questions to ask my spouse. Yes, I'm telling you questions to ask your spouse. What do you wish I would do more? Just ask your spouse that question. Don't defend yourself and just listen. Listen, that's the biggest tip I got to be a good spouse or a good husband. What do you wish I would do more? No defense, just listen. Don't try to defend yourself. Just allow her to speak into you. Secondly, prioritize her over yourself. Everything you do comes at an expense to your spouse. If I go work out, if I go fishing, if I go hunting, if I go hang out with the boys, if I go to the Braves game, all of those things come at the expense of my wife. And so I need to begin to understand, hey, what does it look like for me to prioritize my spouse over myself? Hey, babe, what can I do for you this week? How can I help you this week? That's what it looks like to prioritize your spouse. Listen to me. Quantity time equals quality time with your spouse. Always does. And you're not going to know. Pretty much every marriage fight, as Blake talked about last week, starts with unmet expectations, which is usually caused by selfishness. So in our marriage, do we know what the expectations are that we're not meeting? You ask that question, hey, what do you wish I would do more? You know what's going to come out? The unmet expectation. And so at that point, the ball's in your court. And so if you know that this is an expectation that she has and just don't do it, that's you. That's your heart. But we can saw, we can get better, man. We can have a marriage that not only reflects God to the world, but reflects God to our third priority, which is our kids. So how do we prioritize our kids? I want to give you a few things when it comes to prioritizing your kids. Three here. The first is spend time with them. You got to spend time with your kids. My dad used to always tell me this. Don't give your best time, energy, to something else. Give your best, give your best time, give your best energy after God and after your spouse to your kids. Daddy, they don't need a million dollars. They don't need an inheritance. What they need is you. And they need you to love them and show them the love of God in their life. That's what they need. Mama, they don't need to know, they need to know that the world is bigger than them. Right? So if we're, if we're not careful, what we begin to teach our kids is that we don't teach them about God. We teach them that they are God. We have to battle against that. We have to battle against the child-centered home. God first, spouse second, then the kids. Why? Because literally God's not given us kids to, to make the home about them. God's given us kids to teach them about Christ and show them what they were truly created Four. We get 18 years with him. Listen, I got, I got 14 years left with Will. He's four years old. And I got 17, I got 16 and a half, or six, 17 and a half left with Sarah Kate. She's, she's eight, six months, eight months old. Sorry, I need to know that. I want to use those 18 years to show them what a relationship with God is. I realize Will's probably not going to be the next Derek Jeter. That's good for some of us to hear in this room. 
I think it's four, it might be 2% of high school athletes go to a Division I college. And then 4% of athletes at a Division I college go on to play, play pro. So the statistics aren't very good that your kid is the next Derek Jeter, right? So quit trying to find your identity in your kid's athletic career and begin to see what God has actually given you the kid for. God's given you the kid for discipleship, which is number two. Pray with them. Pray for them. This is what we want with the family worship night. Listen, this is why we do everything that we do. We want to teach you how to do this. On our app right now, you can go every night of the week and go once a week. We design, literally teach you how to have a time of God with your kid. We'll give you videos. We'll give you questions. We'll give you scripture, how to memorize that scripture in a way that they can get it. Listen, we're doing a family weekend to teach you what it looks like to parent your kid. Listen, we as a church exist to partner with you. But here's the other option. We are not the primary disciple makers of your children. Like we get them a couple hours a week. You get them the whole week. And God has called you to invest your life in them. Pray for them and pray for them. And then lastly, model a genuine relationship with Christ for them. Who you are today will shape who they'll become tomorrow. It's important for us to understand that. So how do we leverage everything else? Everything else in our life is a tool to be used for the mission of God, period. Right? It's great to have activities and vacation and play sports and be involved in the community. Listen, I'm all for that. If you've seen my life, that's what I love to do. But I can tell you this. The reason I do those things is because I love people. I love people. I love what organized sports teach kids. It's a part of our discipleship with our kids. But listen, those aren't the thing. Those are a tool to the thing, which is Christ. It's about the mission of God. We want to invest relationships all across this community and everything that we do and love on people. So I want to end today with this question. I know it's been kind of therapeutic in here today. That's not what I'm intended for this to be. I just wanted to be practical and help you in the best way that I possibly can. But I pray today that God's given you a next step. I don't know what it is, but maybe as I'm walking through these priorities, you say, Billy, that's me. I know. Like my priorities are out of line. They're not where they need to be. Well, here's what I tell you. It starts with getting right with God, period. And I'll tell you this. When you begin to get right with God and your heart begins to be right with God, all of this other stuff will begin to fall into place. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. Where are you with God? What does your relationship with God look like? Have you drifted away? Have you, have you let off the gas in your relationship with the Lord? Have you quit pressing in to God? When it comes to your priorities and your schedule, is God first or is he last? Does he get the first energy or does he get the leftovers? I pray today that God would call us and draw us into a time of repentance. If you're in this room today and you say, Billy, I don't have a relationship with God. But you'd say, Billy, I want one. Here's what I tell you. The good news is that God has made a way. It's not dependent on your performance. It's not dependent on the scorecard of your priorities. It's dependent on the work that he's already done. And salvation is a free gift. And you'd say today, Billy, that's me. I don't have a relationship with God, but I want one. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you. You say, Billy, that's me. Yeah. Anybody else? Raise it up. You say, Billy, that's me, 100%. If you're in this room today and you say, Billy, 
my priorities are out of line. And I know that. And today's the day I want to get them back right. I want to pray for you too. Is that anybody in the room? You'd raise your hand. You'd say, Billy, that's me. Should be all of us. Hopefully we can all see it. So, Father, that's our prayer this morning. God, your word is so good to us. God, we thank you for the words of Joshua. Father, I pray for every person in this room that we could leave with your vision for our life. As for me and my family and my household, God, we're going to serve the Lord. Not because you force us to do that, but because, God, you are good. And, God, you have good plans for our lives. So, Lord, I pray today you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, you'd, you'd show us areas of our life where we can grow, and we'd respond in repentance. Father, we're so thankful for you. And, God, we worship you this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can stand up. We're going to sing one more song.